On a recent road trip to the dusty, dying Kansas town where my mother lived as a girl, she told me, some people might wonder what your father and I have in common. One important thing we share is an experience of making a major life move and transition at the age of 13. At 13, my mother moved from a very isolated farm in Kansas into town. The neighbor's house was suddenly just a few feet away. Fresh produce from the fields got replaced by canned peas and Wonder Bread. And my grandfather went from working the fields from dawn to dusk to sitting in an easy chair, watching game shows and Bonanza and eating Jell-O salad. My father grew up in Israel in a village of 30 German Jewish families, 30 families, and everyone knew everyone. Then at age 13, his family moved to inner city Kansas City, where he changed his name from Gadi to Gary, naming himself after Gary Cooper. <laughs> and he learned English from the TV just as much as from the classroom. And lucky for my dad, he was good-looking and he was pretty good at football. So that helped him out. My mother went on to move to the big city of Kansas City, where she and my dad found each other, fell in love, and started our family. And all of their parents found our suburban lifestyle just bizarre. The swimming lessons, the summer camps, the minivans and birthday parties. I grew up with a fascination around cross-cultural connections and intercultural fluency. A fascination with the way that humans can live in multiple worlds, within multiple identities, holding multiple truths, reaching beyond our divisions to a shared human experience. Fast forward to the year 2002. I'm standing on a dirt road surrounded by the lush green trees of the rainy season. I'm watching a woman hang out the laundry while her kids play in the yard, her family attending to other chores in the home. They're talking, laughing, teasing. It's just a regular day. And a pang of loneliness just washes over me, and I feel an almost physical pull of longing and sadness longing for that easy closeness that can happen in family, longing to belong, to feel at home, to be known, to be at ease with my people. I imagine trading places with that woman just for a few moments, just to feel again what it is to be doing the everyday business of life with my closest people instead of by myself. I'm in the Cape Verde Islands, off the coast of West Africa, where I've just finished my first year as a Peace Corps volunteer. This is the place where this fascination with our shared humanity has brought me. And the longing and sadness I was feeling was real, but I want to be clear here that I had chosen this. So many people in our world are forced by economic and political pressures to leave their home, their friends and families. And this is me, after college, I'd chosen to move halfway around the world, convinced that wisdom and joy would find me if I could just get as far away from home as possible. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a joke. 
<laughs> Maybe you can relate. <laughs> so I ventured far off, holding both my raised consciousness from my college anthropology courses, as well as bucket loads of privilege that were still mostly invisible to me at the time. The privileges of a white, middle-class American woman who chooses to put herself on a plane and show up in someone else's community to try and be useful and to grow her soul. A soul, of course, which ended up growing in all sorts of ways that were not part of the plan. This had been my choice, yet the grief and the longing were real. The thing is, I had expected to find joy in places where joy didn't live. And this is what I mean. I'd expected to find joy in the excitement and aliveness of living in a distant place. I had hoped to find joy in the satisfaction of mastering all the things that work differently in Cape Verde. The language, the water, the electricity, food, small talk, the small things. And it was, it was very interesting and satisfying to witness something that had become so familiar become commonplace and to watch the small town that had been so unusual to actually become boring. But it didn't bring me joy. Mastery is a satisfying experience, but it is not joy. Neither are its cousins. Pleasure, happiness, excitement. These feel good, but joy reaches far deeper and wider. Joy is a visceral, spiritual experience that arises from connection. Joy can be hard to talk about since its power can sometimes feel too intense to bear. So what distinguishes joy from other positive emotions like happiness? Dr. John Valiant discusses this beautifully in his book, Spiritual Evolution. Happiness is cognitive and secular, dwelling in the mind. Joy is visceral and spiritual, dwelling in the gut and the soul. Happiness and pleasure can be, be experienced in isolation. Joy happens in relationship. It's the result of intimate connection of some kind. Alone on a desert island, we can laugh ourselves happy watching the Marx Brothers or an episode of Seinfeld. But we feel joy and we feel those tears when our rescuers arrive at last. Happiness and pleasure displace pain, but joy encompasses pain. I went into the Peace Corps hoping for joy through the excitement of travel, the pleasures of mastering language and cultural norms, the excitement of a job well done, and the satisfaction of being of use. And these brought moments of happiness and satisfaction, but the joy only happened when I risked relationship. I so wanted to develop close relationships with Cape Verdeans, but this was harder than I thought because people already had their own social networks, and building relationships asked me to show up with this mixture of humility, boldness, curiosity, and a willingness to look foolish that felt vulnerable and difficult. But I did it, I kept putting myself out there, and those connections did grow and they did become real. And when I had somewhere to go on a Sunday afternoon, or when I could greet someone on the street and chat about our lives in a real way, 
I just savored it because I knew its value. And in the end, I had to experience the longing and the pain of separation in order to feel the soaring joy of reunion with my own family and friends when I returned. Why is joy so often linked to pain? Because in the words of John Valiant, joy is grief inside out. Joy is grief inside out. Brush the surface of joy and you encounter the reality of loss. If joy arises from intimate connection, connection with people or with nature or with the vastness of this universe that we're a part of, if joy is found in intimate connection, then it is fleeting by nature because those connections will change, they can come to an end. This is the risk we take in opening ourselves to joy. Consider this hypothetical movie scene offered by the University of Houston's Brene Brown from a lecture she gave in 2010. Christmas Eve, beautiful night, light snowfall, a young family of four in the car on the way to grandma's house for dinner. They're listening to the radio station, the one that starts playing Christmas music like right at Halloween. <laughs> Jingle bells comes on and the kids in the back seat, they go crazy and everyone breaks into song. And the camera pans in on the face of the kids and the mom and the dad. What happens next? It turns out that the most common answer is car crash. 60% of all people who respond to this question say car crash. And another 10 or 15% of respondents have equally fatalistic answers. Now this could demonstrate the impact that Hollywood's violent imagination has had on us all. But Brown thinks it's bigger than that, and she connects it to other stories she hears. For example, she connects it to the parent who says, I'm looking at my children, and they're sleeping, and I'm just right on the verge of bliss, and I picture something horrible happening. Brown calls this foreboding joy. The very connections that bring us the deepest joy also force us to grapple with a level of vulnerability that can be excruciating. Joy can be intense, visceral, sharp, sharper than pain sometimes. Joy can even offer us a glimpse of that holy mystery that is the very source of life and love, the one thing that could possibly be considered eternal. Joy is one of the greatest experiences of being human. It's something we yearn for, we try to build our lives around it. And yet the vulnerability, the possibility of loss that we must tolerate in order to give ourselves over to deep joy can feel overwhelming. So we try to protect ourselves from the possibility of loss, grief, and overwhelm through distractions, through numbing our emotions. As a nation, we are some of the most overscheduled, addicted, medicated, obese, and in debt people in the world. And each of these conditions points to a strategy for distancing ourselves from pain. The pain that lives on the flip side of joy. 
However, in the process of distancing ourselves from pain, we also disconnect ourselves from the sources of joy, from those connections with people and with nature that make our hearts so full they could just burst. If we numb out and drop out, we miss out on a whole range of emotion, pain and joy. In our reading this morning, Nicaraguan poet and priest Ernesto Cardenal writes, El Pacifico, casi puro cielo bajo el cielo. La verdad es que estamos en el cielo y no lo sabemos. The Pacific, almost pure blue under the sky. The truth is that we're in heaven and don't know it. The truth is that we are in heaven and don't know it. This is the essence of gratitude. And gratitude is the simple practice that calls us back into relationship with joy. Gratitude for the simple things which are most often our deepest sources of joy. And many of us are not exactly living in an earthly heaven right now in our lives. We walk with fears, disappointments, heartache, pain, and gratitude asks us to name the places where heaven is breaking in, to open our eyes to the ordinary fleeting joys of life for the slices of heaven that surround us. Our family, our friends, the daily reunions and the comings and goings of our lives, the miracle of a flower in bloom, the stillness of the lake. This sounds simple, and it is simple, Yet it's also a radical act of resistance against a culture that is telling us that we need to do more, to be more, to have more in order to be enough, to feel joy. Gratitude reacquaints us with our blessings, turns us toward each other, and toward the sacred mystery that connects us in all our living and loving. Final story. The other day, I was out on the playground with my three-year-old daughter, Sarah. It was one of those perfectly warm and beautiful days that we've been having lately. And we were the only ones at the playground, and I was just pushing her on the swings. Away and back. Away and back. And then, to my surprise, she starts to sing. And it's the lullaby that my husband and I have sung to her since she was an infant. It's the same James Taylor song that my mother sang to me as a child. And the chorus goes like this. <laughs> so close your eyes. You can close your eyes, it's all right. <clears throat> I don't know no love songs, and I can't sing the blues anymore. Oh, but I can sing this song, and you can sing this song when I'm gone. And I felt both the soaring tenderness of joy and the clutches of grief that grab us when we remember the possibility of losing anyone we love. And one day my mother will be gone and I will sing this song 
And one day I will be gone and Sarah will sing this song. And one day Sarah will be gone. And for today, I am that woman who I watched 15 years earlier, a woman doing the ordinary stuff of life with the people she loves the most. And for now, I get to live the connections that I had once longed for. Joy is grief inside out. Let us love and rejoice in those connections that we would most grieve if they were gone. Deeply grateful for those slices of heaven right in front of our eyes. May it be so, and amen.